I invite you to turn in your copy of God's Word once again to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. From 2009 until 2015, most of you in here know that we took multiple trips down to Peru and to the same area of an unreached people group there in the Andes Mountains that we worked among. And um, Peru is a, a diverse culture with a lot of incredible things, wonderful things, wonderful food. The valley, um, not so diverse in food options and uh, not all the, all the time that wonderful. And so towards the end, we had just gone so, so much that it was the same thing over and over and over and again. And, and we were just like, every morning, here, here's the bottom line, what I'm getting at. Every morning was eggs. Most of the time they're yellow, not all the time. Uh, but there were eggs every morning with a piece of bread. And it just got kind of old, you know, and I'm kind of one of those guys, like, I like meat. I want meat on my plate and, and some variety. And so we were taking a trip, and uh, Mike Pope and I were scheming and thinking about what we can we do to resolve this problem. And we pulled off, to me, one of the greatest accomplishments and feats in missions history here. Um, we decided to uh, take country ham to Peru. And so we took country ham to Peru in our suitcases. I don't know what would have happened if we got caught in customs with country ham, but, but we took country ham to Peru, and we didn't tell anybody, and we got up one morning and borrowed the, the kitchen from the cooks, and Mike and I went in there and cooked country ham. First time this has ever been done in, in Peru, I think. And so we cooked country ham, and we served it up to the team, and I thought it was the greatest breakfast that has ever been cooked in Peru. Uh, it just changed our eating experience. It, the country ham uh, improved the quality of breakfast, and the, the reason we were able to take it, if you're not familiar with country ham, is the amount of salt on it preserves it so that you could take it. It didn't have to be refrigerated. So we had country ham for breakfast. This morning, we come to Matthew five thirteen to 16, and as we do, we read, you are the salt of the earth. And I was thinking about that this week because the salt preserved the ham in such a way that we are able to take it to Peru, get down there, take it in the mountains, cook it, and have an incredible breakfast. It also increased the quality of our breakfast in a substantial way. And as Jesus comes out of teaching on the Beatitudes in, in verses 1 through 12 of Matthew 5, in the beginning of his Sermon on the Mount, and he moves into the calling for us to be who we are, who he has made us to be as the salt and the light of the world, He's speaking of the influence that we are to have to preserve and better the world around us. Let's read this morning, Matthew 5, beginning in verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You know, in the Beatitudes, Jesus talks about the character that is seen in those who are his. 
that, that those who are followers of Christ, you remember in verse 1 when we started talking about the Sermon on the Mount, we talked about the fact that Jesus is teaching those who are his, that are his disciples. This is what the life of the disciple looks like. And, and in verses 3 through 10, really, he talks about the, the character of the disciple. But now he talks about the, uh, he kind of shifts into not only the character, but then the life of influence that his people should have. So as he says, he says, listen, he's talking about his disciples who are poor in spirit, who mourn, who are meek, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who are merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers, and who understand that persecution may indeed come for righteousness' sake. And he looks at these and he says, you are salt. You are light. Now, I would remind you at this point, before we get into this, that that it's important for us to remember that this is a result of God's work in your life. We talked about that multiple times. We talked about the Beatitudes, that it's a result of God's work in your life. It's not an eight-step process for earning God's favor. It is a result of God being merciful to you. It's the same thing when we think about the fruit of the Spirit. We think about the the fruit of the Spirit. is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When we think about those things, it's not something that we try to be those things so that we earn favor with God. We're not trying to earn our way to heaven. That is the fruit of God's work in our life. That is evidence that we are indeed His. The same thing is true here. The evidence of the believer is that we are poor in spirit. We mourn over sin. We are meek. We hunger and thirst for righteousness. We're merciful, pure in heart. We are those who follow Christ, and these things are evident in our life. We're not trying to earn God's favor. This is who we are because God has shown us favor. Now, the reason that I wanted to remind you of that here is because if you sit in here today and you hear a sermon on being the salt of the earth and the light of the world, and you leave and and you say, you know what, I want to do that. I want to go be salty and I want to go be light. I want to light my world. But you are not a follower of Christ. You don't see the evidence of God's Spirit working in your life. If you walk out and you try to do that outside of Him, then you're wasting your time. You're wasting your time. You're just becoming religious. And so if that's the case, if you're sitting in here today and you say, you know, I don't see any of that present in my life. I don't see the fruit of the Spirit. I don't see any of the character traits that Jesus describes in the Beatitudes. I just don't see those things present in my life. Then I would say to you, right now, the first thing you need to do is you need to turn to Jesus in faith. You need to repent and turn from your sins and turn to him. Jesus is described as the light of the world. He is the light, and he sends us out as lights. In John 1, 9, we read that Jesus, John calls Jesus the true light, which gives light to everyone who is coming into the world. He was the one who lights the world. He is the light of the world. In John 8, 12, that's exactly what he says. Jesus spoke to them, and he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the light of the world. In Colossians 1, 13 and 14, we read that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. This whole idea of of darkness and light is important in Scripture. And and the reality is, according to Scripture, if you are not a believer, if you are not a follower of Christ, then you are living in darkness. You are blinded by sin. You are dead in your transgressions and sin. That's what Scripture teaches. 
And it's not about doing more. It's not about trying to be these things so that you can clean your act up and become a Christian. That's not what it's about. If you are outside of Christ and you're living in darkness, you need Christ. You need God to do a great work in your life. And the call of Scripture is to repent and believe. Repent and believe. You see, Scripture has a beautiful promise to those of you who are here today or you're listening online and you're not a believer. You've never submitted your life to Christ and confessed Jesus as Lord. If that is you, the promise of Scripture is that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. There's no uncertainty about that. There's no question about that. It's not you may be saved, but you will be saved. Why? Because Jesus is the light of the world and he is the only one who can bring you out of darkness. It is all of Christ. It is all of Christ. And so before we go any further today, I would just say to you and appeal to you, if you are an unbeliever here today, and I know some of you are, Call upon Christ, turn from your sin, and trust Christ. How do you do that? How do you do that? You simply go before the Lord and repent. Confess your sin to God and place your trust, your faith in Him as Lord, asking Him to save you. It is faith. It is nothing that you do or earn or merit. It is faith alone in Christ alone that saves you by God's grace alone. What a beautiful thing. So as we move on then, if that's you, if you're an unbeliever, turn to Christ today. But for those of you who are believers, this passage has a very profound message to us that we need to consider this morning. We need to consider first who we are, that we are salt and light. And as salt and light, there are three things that we need to understand. There's three things we need to understand. We think about this passage that says, You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. There's three things that we need to understand. The first thing is this, is that salt and light is our identity. It's our identity. The the you there, when he says you are the salt and light, it is emphatic. It's you are. My disciples are. He's not speaking to everyone on the earth. He's talking to his followers. My followers are. And he doesn't say that you may be salt and light. He doesn't say that you will become salt salt and light one day he doesn't say that you're moving toward being salt and light he says you are the salt of the earth you are the light of the world it is a settled status this is not an option it's in fact it's a fact okay it's not something you're striving towards it's something that you are he says this is who you are but what we need to understand on that note is that as believers, our effectiveness at influencing others as salt and light is very much contingent upon our character being as such described in the Beatitudes. That if God is not manifesting those traits in our lives, if He is not pouring forth His Spirit upon us and growing us in the fruits of the Spirit, then it's going to be very hard for us to influence our world for the glory of God. And so we have that, that dual thing going on that Paul talks about in Philippians 2, 12 and 13, where he calls the people to work out their salvation in fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you at his pleasure, for his pleasure. So God is working in us, and he is manifesting these traits that we see described as, the believe, as a believer, traits of the believer, but it is also a calling of ours to pursue him and to pursue growth in those things. There's this dual function in our sanctification. We don't have any kind of dual function in our salvation, but in sanctification we're called to pursue holiness, to pursue Christ. 
We're called to be who God has called us to be. So we need to actively pursue Christ in our life and ask, as Matt had prayed, God, please pour out your spirit upon us in a way that manifests who we are supposed to be, that you produce these things in our life. See, just as when you think about you, you chemistry people in here, when you think about salt, what is salt? There's two, some of you know, I hear some mumbles, but you're uncertain. It's like, I see college students going, oh yeah, <laughs> we're all over this, right? We just got out of that class and just passed that part of the test, right? Salt is made up of what? It's made of sodium and chloride. That's it, right? It's, it's, made, it's a stable compound is what they call it. It is what it is. It doesn't get any more or less salty per se, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But that's what it is, is sodium and chloride. That's what goes into it, just as the believer who is the salt of the earth, the things that make up the believer, the character traits that you see in the believer are the fruits of the Spirit. There is evidence. There is um, uh, fruits that show that we are God's people. So that is who we are. Our identity is salt and light. Second thing we need to understand is that as salt and light, we are to be distinct from the world we are to be distinct from the world. You see, Jesus is talking to two groups, or about two groups here. He's talking to one group, about two groups. So we said that the you is emphatic, talking about you, it's talking about a specific, it's kind of restrictive in that the you focuses on God's people, right? But you are what? You are the salt of the earth. And he's not talking about the dirt. When he says you're the salt of the earth, when he says you're the light of the world, he's talking about the world, those outside of Christ. So he's talking to the people of God about those who are outside of Christ that are unbelievers. Bottom line, there should be a marked difference between believers and those who are not. There should be evidence to see that these people are believers, they pursue Christ, and they are not. There should be a difference in our lives. There should be difference in the way I live my life as opposed to someone who does not follow Christ, who has not been saved. There should be a difference. And this is an important distinction to make because there are believers everywhere and there are entire churches everywhere. There are pastors everywhere that instead of want, wanting to strive and live distinct from the world, holy lives that exalt the name of Christ, they are trying to blend with the world and look as much like the world as they can. This is problematic because when you blend with the world and you try to look like the world, we lose sight of our purpose, we lose our influence. Jesus is calling us to be different. And that's what the Beatitudes did. It flipped the ideas upside down of what it meant to be blessed. If we seek to blend with the world, then we will cease to be poor in spirit. Instead, we're going to be proud of self. We're going to exalt our own name and puff up our chest and lift our nose because of how good we are. If, if we blend with the world, we will not mourn over sin. We will celebrate sin if we blend with the world we want to blend with the world we will not be meek but we will be egotistical narcissists if we try to blend in the world we're not going to hunger and thirst for righteousness instead we're going to hunger and thirst for what makes us look like the ungodly we want to blend in i see that i want that we want to be like the unbelievers if we try to blend in the world we're not going to be merciful but we're going to selfishly walk right by those in need we won't be pure in heart, but we will give our hearts over to anything and everything that will advance our own agenda while coming in here on a Sunday and looking like a Christian. 
We won't be peacemakers, but instead we will thrive on conflict. It'll be our instinct and our nature. We will turn towards conflict and chaos instead of being the peacemakers that God has called us to be. And if we seek to blend with the world, when persecution comes, we will not stand. We will not stand firm. We will not stand bold, but we will cower in the corner and we will disown the name of Jesus that we just sang about. The God that we just sung and stood, or stood and sung about, holy, holy, holy. The one that we just said, yet not I, but Christ through me. The one that we said, you know what, light of the world, you stepped out of darkness, or stepped into the darkness. That Jesus that we just sang about, if we're trying to blend in the world, we are not going to proclaim, but we're going to step back from. But scripture consistently calls us to live differently. It consistently calls us to walk as Christ has called us to walk. In Ephesians 4, 4, verse 17, Paul says, Now this I say in testifying the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, Paul says. Assuming that you heard about him and were taught in him as is truth in Jesus. So how are we to live, Paul? He says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. See, Paul's teaching there is something different. There is a different way that you're called to live as a believer. You're to be distinct. In 1 Thessalonians 2.12, he says, We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. In Colossians 1.10, we're called to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. In Philippians 1, 27, we read, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. In Ephesians 4, 1, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. 1 Peter 4, 16, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. We are not called to blend in with the world. Scripture doesn't say, I want you to look as much like the world as you can to be their friends. No, it calls us to love our neighbor. It calls us to take the gospel to the world. It calls us to be salt, to be light to the world. But to be distinct from it, there should be a marked difference between those who are his and those who are not. We must not blend in the world, but be distinct from it. But as we seek to be distinct from the Lord or from the world, that leads us to the number, the, three, the third point. As salt and light, we are to influence the world. We are to be distinct from the world, but the call to be distinct is not a call to withdraw to ourselves. We are not called to just have this holy huddle that we come in here and we just stay with ourselves and we, we just withdraw from the world. We are to be in the world but not of the world. We are to influence the world for the glory of God. This is indeed the primary purpose of Jesus' description here as salt and light, that we are to influence the world. We understand, and we've talked about that in here, 
that we, we get the whole idea of an influencer in our day. Those who, who market themselves and, and market their product in such a way that they would influence those around us. Well, being an influencer is nothing new. Christ called us to be influencers long before social media was an option and a platform. We are to influence the world around us. We are to be distinct, and we are to be distinct influencers of the world for the glory of God. Our calling, church, our calling is beyond these walls. It's beyond these walls. We are called to go out into the world to influence the world, to bring life and light to the world, to make it a better place, to preserve it, to bring life to it. But see, this is indeed a source of tension in our day because what our culture and what our society tells us and wants from us is this totally fine if you're a Christian just keep it in your home and keep your mouth shut and don't proclaim it don't live it out in the public square but that is not what God has called us to do God has called us to go into the world to be salt and light. He has not called us to keep our mouths quiet. He has called us to open our mouths and proclaim the gospel. You understand this. We are to be salt and light. And if we are going to be salt and light, we need to understand that we are to influence the world. Salt had two primary functions. We've already talked, to him, talked about them a little bit. One is that it was to improve the quality of what it influenced, what it came in contact with. It was to improve the quality for the better. It was also to preserve food from decay. There was a preservative nature to salt. It was a, the primary functions of salt. Light similarly functions to influence everything around it. Light reveals what is wrong. It also produces what is righteous and true. Light brings life. We see this everywhere. We understand that about light. It's not only given to live by, though. It's called to shine in, or to live in and to shine forth. We don't buy a flashlight to sit up as decoration. We buy a flashlight to use to penetrate the darkness. So what does that mean for us? It means that living in a, a world that is dark, it, it's tasteless, it's decaying, in many ways we are called to make it better. We are called to bring quality. We are called to preserve it. We are called to shine forth light, to shine forth true, to reveal and proclaim life that is in the light of Christ. It means that first we are to function as preservatives for God and for good in our world. The world around us is not on a moral incline, right? You understand that. We don't look out and go, oh, wow, the world is just getting, getting to be morally better. This is remarkable. Look at how good people are being. This is incredible. No, no, that is not what we see. But as the salt and the light, we, that means we must stand for what is good, what is true, what is beautiful. We must promote those things. We must push those things. And be preservatives for good in our world. It means also that, that we are to improve the quality of our world. Just like uh, Jesus or God talked to Jeremiah and he said that, that you are to strive for the flourishing of your city and in that it will be good for you. We are to live for the flourishing of our society, the good of our society, the improved quality of our society. The lives of God's people should not leave a sour taste in the mouths of those around us. That you should not live your life in such a way that an unbeliever comes in contact with you or comes in contact with me and leaves going, man, I don't want to see that guy anymore. I can't stand being around that guy. He may not agree with everything I say. He may not even support everything I say. But I don't leave a sour taste in their mouth. 
because I'm improving the quality of the world around us. They should see in our lives a hunger and a thirst for God's truth, His peace, His righteousness, His grace. Third, it means we are to reveal and display what is true. As light of the world, we reveal and we display what is true. We proclaim true truth. There's a lot of claims about truth. But we as God's people proclaim true truth and we live by it. Fourth, we are to proclaim Jesus who is the light of the world in darkness. We get very specific on what true truth is. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So we proclaim Jesus who is the light of the world. And finally, we are to do good works that display God to others. We are called to live out our faith. Our faith is an act of faith. It is not one we talk about and do nothing about. It is not one that does not influence the way we work, the way we lead our business, the way we go to school, the way we do our homework. It should influence every aspect of our lives. Every aspect of our lives should be influenced by Christ. But he gives a negative appeal here, doesn't he? Jesus warns of a danger of losing our influence on the world around us. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but... If salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's, it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. And, and he gives a, a contrast with, with light, a, a negative appeal with light as well. He, said, he talks about, you're the light of the world in a city on a hill. It can't be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. But no, what do they do? They, they put it on a stand. It gives light to all, for all to see. In the house, we light our houses with it. I don't get a lamp and turn it on and then put a five-gallon bucket over it. You guys would walk in my house and go, what is your problem? Oh, I'm trying to hide my lamp. <laughs> Why? I don't know. I don't like light. Why do you have a lamp? I don't know. That makes sense, does it? And Jesus says, listen, you are the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. So don't, don't hide your light. Don't become unsalty. Listen, Here's the interesting thing about that. What did we say earlier? Salt is sodium chloride. It is what it is. Like, that's just, it, it just doesn't get unsalty. If you have a pure grain of salt, it doesn't get unsalty. It doesn't lose its saltiness. So what is Jesus saying? Well, what happens is when you start adding impurities to it, then it gets unsalty. So you take a cup of good old Morton's salt. And then add a 50-pound bag of sand to that salt. And tell me how salty it is. It's not very salty. At that point, it's pretty useless. And it's not going to preserve any ham to get to Peru. Really, all it's good for is to throw in my sandbox and let my kids play in it. That's what it's good for. Or just to walk around on. Same thing with light. Light doesn't get less light. Light is light. But when you start adding things to light and you start covering light, light becomes hidden. And as we bring sin into our lives, it is like pouring sand into a cup of salt. And it's like putting layer upon layer upon layer upon layer upon layer over that lamp and hiding that lamp. And Jesus reminds us, he says, you are the salt, you are are the light. You are influencers. Don't become unsalty. Don't hide yourself. How does that happen? When does that happen? 
One, one time, or one way it happens is when it happens when culture influences us more than we influence culture. And we just bring culture into our lives. And we just add to our lives. And we say, oh, I want that, I want that. And we just bring into it, bring into our lives. We become unsalty. We lose our light. It happens when we live in habitual, unrepentant sin. Habitual, unrepentant sin. We just add a little here and a little there, and it just keeps on and on and on and on. It keeps building up. It's like covering that light. Becoming unsalty. It happens when we fail to spend time with the Lord, but instead fill, it day, fill our minds day after day after day after day with mind-numbing entertainment. We just keep pulling it in. And instead of filling our lives with Christ, instead of looking into the word of truth, instead of reading about Christ who is the light of the world, who has revealed himself to us through Holy Scriptures, instead we just bring in all this entertainment that just numbs our minds and we sit mindlessly watching and bringing in ungodliness. It happens when we allow busyness to drive away the things of the Lord. We bring so much into our lives There's no room for anything else. We just bring it in, bring it in, bring it in. And salt becomes unsalty. The whole purpose of what Jesus is saying here, his calling to not allow yourself to lose taste, saltiness, not to hide the lamp, to be the salt of the earth, to be the light of the world. The whole purpose is in verse 16. Verse 16, what does he say? He says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You see, the whole purpose, the whole goal, the whole driving point is the glory of God. The glory of God. That we would live to shine forth the light of Christ in such a way that they would see our good works and they would bring glory to God. We are not called to hide our light but to shine our life. Philippians 2.15 says that we are to be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. In 1 Peter 2.12, we're told to keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. The whole purpose The whole driving force is that they would see your good works and glorify God. That they wouldn't see your good works and go, man, that Todd, he's a great guy. They wouldn't see your good works and go, wow, Grace Baptist is a wonderful church. I just love Grace Baptist, those guys. No, they would see your good works and say, God is an awesome, incredible God. I want to praise him. I want to know that God. I want to pursue God. Because I see that their lives are markedly different. They are distinct, but they're, they're not distinct in such a way that they're over here in a corner in a cave humming and, and doing these weird chants. No, they are distinct, but they're living among us and they're making a difference. They're influencing our world for the better. They're preserving good. They're increasing the quality. They're improving the quality of life around them because God has made a difference in their life and he's using them to make a difference in the lives of those around us. And in all for the glory of God. Now, the question that I come to at the end of this when I was sitting in my office this week and praying through this, how? What does this look like? like on, a, on a very practical level, what does this look like? This came up in our class last week in Grace Equipping. Like, if we're called to be salt and we're called to be light, what does that look like practically? Well, Scripture gives us some glimpses of that. Scripture gives us glimpses of what does it look like to be salt and light in our world today? 
Here's the first one. It means that we keep our actions Christ-honoring and our words grace-filled. So being salt and light means we keep our actions Christ-honoring and our words grace-filled. Colossians 4, 5, and 6. Listen to what Paul says. Walk in wisdom. There's your actions. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. You see, the way we live and what we say is important. It makes a difference. It influences those around us. And in our day is one in which unbelievers need to see genuine Christians living their lives for Christ and speaking words that are seasoned with grace, that are grace-filled. The world needs to see that. The second thing it means is this, is it means that we work to bring salvation to the lost. If we're going to be salt and light, it means that we are actively working to bring salvation to the lost. In Acts 13, 47, is a quote of Isaiah 49, 6. The disciples quote that about themselves, saying that God has made them, made followers of Christ, a light for the Gentiles, a light for the Gentiles, that, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. He's made us lights of the world. He's called us to be lights to the world. That we might declare salvation, that we might give glory to God. Our lives need to be gospel-focused. We need to be leveraging our days for the advance of the gospel that the, light might, or that the lost might see the light of Christ and call out to God. Our day is a day void of hope. Our day is a day in which the average person, especially a person outside of Christ, they don't wake up, watch the news, go to work, come home, watch the news again, and then lay down on their pillow and go, I have such great hope. <laughs> I'm going to rest easy tonight. No. If you watch the news, you're not filled with hope. Our day is not a day that's filled with hope. But in our day, we need to be proclaiming Christ. We need to be bringing and proclaiming the hope of the gospel that Jesus saves and He redeems and He forgives. That is the message of hope that we need to be bringing. That is declaring salvation to the lost. The third thing it means to be salt and light and what it looks like in our day is it means not living sinful lives as unbelievers do. We've talked about this. We meditated on it. Not living sinful lives as unbelievers do. Ephesians 5.8 Therefore do not become partners with them. He's talking about the ungodly who practice sexual immorality, covetousness, crude joking, filthiness. You heard that when Chad read our scriptures. Do not become partners with them for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Be who you are. You are the light of the world. Walk as you have been called to walk. Be who God has made you to be, Christian. And certainly that doesn't mean that we're perfect. We've not reached a state of perfectionism or perfection. But we trust God and we follow God and we strive and we pursue personal holiness in our lives. We don't live in rampant sin. We don't just live in unrepentant sin and shrug our shoulders and go, oh well, not perfect. We pursue Christ. You see, partners, he says, do not be partners with them. Partners come alongside others. They affirm what another does. They support another. They join another. We must not affirm, support, or join sinful living. 
Because we live in a day of gross immorality. Instead, we should shine in integrity. We should be a people of integrity that walk in the light as children of light. Number four. Number four. It means to expose sin that is hidden. This is a tough one. But it means to expose sin that is hidden. Light exposes what is hidden by the darkness. In Ephesians 5, 11 to 13. Paul says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. The one stealing from the company, the one cheating on exams, the one committing adultery, should be exposed by the light of Christ. We don't just turn a blind eye to ungodliness. We don't just turn a blind eye and we certainly don't take part in it with them. We pursue Christ. We live in holiness. So in our day of hidden, deceitful lives, we shine as those not afraid to speak truth into it. That we proclaim and stand for the truth. Fifth, fifth, it means we live without grumbling and disputing. What does it look like to be salt in life? Or salt and light, it means we live without grumbling and disputing. Philippians 2, 14 to 16, we referenced that a few minutes ago. Do all things without grumbling and disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. Holding fast to the word of life. See, in our, our day, what is, our day, you know, is filled with constant complaining, a constant fighting, constant conflict. But the people of God are called to shine as peacemakers and mercy givers. That's what God described. That's what Jesus described us as in, in Matthew verses, uh, chapter 5, verse 7 and 9. That, that we are those who are merciful. That we are those who make peace. We do the hard work of making peace. We're not those who stir up conflict. We're not those who grumble about everything and dispute about everything. We are those who shine as lights in the world. Second part of that is the sixth point. It means we hold fast to the word of life. We hold fast to the word of life. If we're going to shine forth as lights, if we're going to be salt, we're going to be light in the world, we hold fast to the word of life. That's what he says in verse 16 of Philippians 2. Shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. Holding fast. We, we, we live in a day of mixed messages, in a day of empty philosophies, deceitful traditions, deceitful philosophies, and we shine as those, we should shine as those who hold fast to the ever true word of God. That we hold fast to his word, that we know that it is the word of God that brings life. It is the word of God that is consistent. If I, if I hold fast to philosophies, those philosophies are going to change. I mean, just in the last 10 years, how much has changed? How many things have you been told, this is the solution? This is the problem? This is how you fix it? How many times have you been told that? I, I can't even number them. I don't know. I mean, we could sit here all day listing different things that the world has said. This is the answer. This is the problem. This is how you fix it. It's because it's shifting traditions, shifting worldviews, shifting ideas and philosophies of men. So we are to hold fast to the truth, the word of God that is solid ground to our lives. And finally, number seven, it means we're careful how we live. It means we're, we're just we're careful how we live. First Peter 2, 11 to 12, we 
read this earlier, but hear it again. Peter says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. Be, be, be careful in how you live. When, when you're tempted to lash out in anger, to seek revenge, to humiliate, to gossip, to slander, seek the Lord. Ask Him to strengthen you to maintain a conduct that is pure and holy, to abstain from the passions of the flesh. Listen, I, I have those same temptations. I'm, I'm tempted to, to lash out in anger. I'm, I'm tempted to seek revenge on someone who would wrong me. I'm, I'm, I'm tempted to humiliate someone or gossip them, gossip about them, or to slander someone. I'm called not to. You are too, believer. Called to pursue Christ, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, to keep your conduct honorable, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God. That's the calling. So when we shine as lights and we're the salt of the world, we keep our conduct pure and we seek Christ. Be who you are, Christian. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. So let your, shine, your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We live the way we live not to earn salvation, but we live the way we live as Christians because we've been saved. And our desire and our longing is to exalt the name of Christ, to lift high the name of Jesus. That's what we want to do. Is we simply want to lift high the name of Christ. So that's our prayer this morning. The song of commitment, the song of response, that's probably a better appropriate label for it this morning, is a song of response. And I want to invite you as believers to stand and to rejoice and to respond by saying we're going to lift high the name of Christ. We're going to lift high the name of Christ in this world. We're going to live in such a way that He is exalted, that His name shines forth. We're going to be salt. We're going to be light for His glory. His glory alone. Let's pray and then let's stand and let's sing. God, we Thank you for your word. We thank you for the change that you've brought in our lives as believers. That God, you called us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. Oh God, we, we rejoice in that. We are thankful for that. God, we're thankful that you, you brought us out of the darkness of sin. That you brought life to our dead hearts. And God, as your people, as salt and light of the world, God, our longing and our desire is to lift high your name, to bring glory and honor to you, not ourselves. God, we want to exalt you. And so, God, that's our response today as your people. We want to lift high the name of Christ. And God, I do pray for friends who are here today or listening online. 
God, that have never turned from their sins and trusted you. God, I pray that you would do a great work in their life, God, that you would show them their need for you and that you would show them your great love displayed on the cross, that you would die for them, that you would die on the cross, that they might be reconciled to you, O oh God. So God, would you do a great work in their lives, we pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, the light of the world. Amen.